Well, I've got one question that I want to ask you, and uh, we can all answer this question regardless of where we are in our life stage um, or, or where we are in terms of what you do as such. Um, but the question is, why do you work? Why do you work? I want you to turn to the person next to you, regardless of whether you've, maybe you've, you're retired or you may not even have a job at the moment, you may be a student, um, but the, the concept is there. Why do you work? Just turn to the person next to you, or behind you, wherever, and, and answer that question. Why do you work? I wonder if we've, uh, in our short discussion, I wonder if there's some answers that you can yell out at me. Why do you work? Yeah, up the back, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. It just keeps on going. It keeps on going. And then it goes down the generations. And yeah, very good. Very good. Anyone else? Why do we work? Keep the brain active. Yeah, good. Great. You know what I said? Unfolding creation. Unfolding creation. Ah, do you want to expand on that? Do you, oh, you want to come and preach that? That sounds really cool. <laughs> Book you in. <laughs> uh, do you want to just unpack that just a, just a slight one? Do you want to just unpack that unfolding creation in our... In our That's fantastic. Thank you. Very good. Uh, anyone else? Feed the family. Good. Yep. That's important. That's important. Enjoyment. Sorry? Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Very good. Very good. Yeah, right. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's great, Ray. Thanks. Yeah, well, interestingly, um, when I thought of that question, um, probably the first thing that came to my mind was to fulfill something in me. That was the first thing. And then I thought, I wonder what most people would think. And maybe if we went out into the schoolyard or whatever it might be, you know, pay the bills, get things on the table, and that sort of thing, maybe. But in his book, Why We Work, Barry Schwartz concludes that people who are satisfied in their work are satisfied because they find meaning in their work. They find some meaning in what they do. They find that what they do is making a difference and making other people's lives better. And so anyone who is enjoying their work is doing that because of that reason. They're finding meaning in and from it. And I wonder if you look at your work, whether it's now or in the past, or maybe you're looking forward to work into the future, whatever it might be. And I wonder if you've ever thought, I find it meaningful. I wonder if you thought that. 
You may well do. But unfortunately, there was a survey um, of the Gallup, the Gallup survey of 230,000 employees across 148 countries. They surveyed asking this question, are you finding fulfillment in your work? And they found that only 13% of people felt engaged by their jobs. Only 13%. It's not many. So if we were to put it visually, if we represented, say, the 230,000 employees that were uh, given that survey, it'd only be, let's see, it'd only be probably just a little section at the front here of the whole that really found enjoyment. And all you just don't. <laughs> just don't find enjoyment or fulfillment. I wonder this morning how many of you have in the past or now find your work engaging or satisfying or something that you feel a deep passion for. And it, I'm not talking if uh, you might be the CEO of the, a big company, and that's, that's great, but you might be the CEO of your, of your house as well and keeping your household in check. Or you might be flipping burgers at Macca's or running some multi-million dollar super enterprise. Whatever it might be, we're doing some work. I wonder how you find your work. This morning, we're going to be looking at this term, vocation. And Rose sort of summed it up fairly well, um, what we're doing with what we have. And, and something that you don't hear about vocation all the time. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard about a sermon on vocation. And in, the, in my planning, as I planned this, it sort of made sense to me why I was doing it in the midst of a sermon series on generosity. So this week, as I sat down, I went, what was that? Why was that? And so I had to remember and recall why I'm doing vocation in a sermon series on generosity. And, and as I thought about it, I thought about how generous do I give of my life? How much of my life do I give to what I do? How much of my life do I give to what I do? And I'm not talking about the task-oriented stuff. I'm talking about my spirit, my heart, the things that... God's given me to input into the roles that God's given me as well. So we're going to look at the story of Jonah and see how he worked it out in his calling, I suppose. How, what, what happened for him? What happened for him? And I'm going to base it all in, in, another, in another verse, Ephesians 3.23. And Ephesians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And this, fit, this verse fits into a context of, of the preceding verses being talking about slaves and masters. It says, in, it says, slaves, work hard. Obey your masters in everything because the root of your work there is, is more than just food or um, getting a wage or that sort of thing. He says there's so much more, and Paul sets it out saying that when we work, work in such a way that you're not just pleasing the human master, but you're actually pleasing the Lord as well. And I remember I was a land surveyor before I started um, being a pastor, and if you don't know what a land surveyor is, it's those guys with the, the tripods and the little camera on top. It's not really a camera, it's a measuring instrument. Um, in fact, 
I don't think they use them much anymore. They just have a stick with a, with a GPS on top now. But that was, uh, I was way back. And I'd studied four years. I'd given um, to, to studying uh, geomatics, which is land surveying. And I worked for a firm in Hawthorne and had been given the idea that in this firm I'll become a licensed surveyor, which meant I could sign the plans and I could do all this sort of stuff. And two years into that role, I hadn't achieved that. I hadn't even got even started on that sort of license surveying sort of thing. So it started to get, the role just started to get a bit mundane. It started to get, it was, it was okay. It was a job. I got money to help us out. And it was, it was okay. But it wasn't what I dreamed of. It wasn't what I thought was, it was going to be. And in fact, in fact, I started to struggle with wanting to even go to work. I started to, to struggle with engaging with the people there because they were, they were a little different. They, um, they had different things that they were doing and, um, and different lifestyles, and, and I just didn't engage with that. And so I found myself, instead of having lunch with the people in my office, I'd be going to the car and just sitting there and reading a book or doing something else or just getting away from the office altogether. I'd often read my Bible at that, like, those lunch times as well in my, in my car, to sit there and read my Bible. And I read this verse. And it was at that moment that I went, I'm not sure that I'm doing what I can for God in my workplace. I realized that my work was, in fact, more than just a place that I could go to earn money than to go and get some food for the table and that sort of thing. That I, I, I learned that I was a person saved by grace, called to live out the great commandment to love one another and love God and love others. And I could do that regardless of where I worked. So after that day, my attitude to my work changed. My behavior changed. And although I didn't pursue a career in land surveying in the long run, I realized that the value that that part of my life had was to give of what I could for that role. And I'm really sorry, I think that's Colossians 3, not Ephesians 3. I think I got that wrong. My bad. <laughs> You're all looking at me going, why has he got that? It's really weird. Sorry about that. <laughs> So in that time, I, I not only gave the time between 8.30 and 5 p.m. to the company so that in the end I could make money to pay bills, I began to give myself to my role as a land surveyor and as a person of Christ. I, I began to engage with the people in my work in a different way. I said, Lord, each week, each morning I'd drive in, I had about an hour's drive to get from Ringwood into Hawthorne because it's just a, no, not, not an easy place to get there. And I, I'd, I'd pray on the way, Lord, reveal a way to be a blessing to this organisation today. And God opened up opportunities. So much so that my boss one day asked me to reach out to his son who was struggling with drugs. He was in his early 20s. He had no guidance, no other people in his lives. He was just struggling. And although he didn't... He didn't stay at church, he came to church because he needed something else, and I'd reached out to him. It opened up so many other possibilities within the workplace uh, as I started to learn that actually I wasn't doing it just for the sake of a job, that there was so much more that I had to be doing. So I started to understand what this word vocation was about. It was to enact Christ's love in my workplace regardless of where that workplace was. 
I'd heard it said that the place of where I work is, uh, is only the assignment that I've been given for which we outwork our vocation. And after reading Colossians 3, that became a reality for me. I not only become one of the 13% who started to really engage and enjoy my work, but I also became someone who was open to fulfilling a call in the various arenas of life that I was entrenched in. Vocation in the dictionary is defined as this. It says, it's a strong feeling of suitability for a particular career or occupation. That's what it says in the dictionary about a vocation, which is all good. And perhaps I think, though, there's a little bit broader than that. It's not just about how we uh, sort of a, a strong feeling of suitability for a job. So I think of the, the word vocation in, in sort of brings out something a little more. Vocation, the actual word, stems from a Latin word for voice. And it's a voice that calls you into a place that you're meant to be. It calls you into something more, something new. And speaking from a Christian perspective, it's a calling from the very voice of God to be the person that he's called you to be in the assigned spot that he's got you right now. It's a, vo- it's a goal to pursue rather than an invitation to fulfill the fullness of God's heart for everyone. See, vocation at its deepest level is, something, is, is defined like this. Something that I can't not do for reasons that I'm unable to explain to anyone else and don't fully understand myself, but are nonetheless compelling. It's pretty good, isn't it? I can't explain it, but I've got to do it. I don't know why. I can't give you the reason, but I'm just compelled to do it because that's what God has for me. There's another definition of vocation. It comes from a scholar named Frederick Beckner. And he says this. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Now, I've taken a while to, to figure that out, to, to, to think about that verse, uh, that, that um, uh, quote. Uh, I've wrestled with that idea. But in it lies the reason why this message fits into generosity and this idea of generosity. See, when we grasp the idea of vocation, then we freely and generously give of ourselves to the work that we do. Whether it's a workplace environment, uh, a a business, whether it's a, uh, a family environment, whether it's a social environment, a school, a village, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. But when we, we grasp this idea of vocation, it becomes God's call for who he has made you to be in that place. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness, so things that make you, give you that high joy, and the world's deep hunger meet. I wonder where that is for you. I wonder where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Perhaps a little bit like this person who wanted to start a cake business. If we can have the next slide. You probably won't be able to read this. Um, it's, a, it's a slide. It's, got a, it's a cake. That's a cake. It's got a whole lot of writing on it. And I don't know if you can read it, but I'll read a little bit to you. Um, it says, the start of it says, the first paragraph. Today is my 31st birthday. And having recently become a father, I now realize how precious life is and how important it is to spend my time doing something that makes me and other people happy. 
And he goes on in the second paragraph to actually resign from his current job. It's his letter of resignation. <laughs> and because he wants to pursue a cake business. And he feels that that is where he's fulfilling the need of himself and giving himself the most joy and fulfilling a need in others. But the last paragraph on that is, is really cool. It says, I wish the organization and my colleagues the best for the future. And I remind you that if you like this cake, you can order more at www.mrcake.co.uk. And <laughs> I went to www.mrcake.co.uk. Six years, six and a half years after he's made this cake, it's going strong. You can go and order a cake from the UK from him. And uh, his uh, name is Chris, and he does some amazing cake designs and that sort of thing. He's found where his deep gladness is meeting the needs of the world that he is in. Or at least his passion for creating that cake brings joy to his clients. And you, you can actually read some of his clients' uh, messages to him. It's quite cool. Now, I don't know if Mr. Cakes, Chris from Mr. Cakes, is a Christian or not. I don't know if he follows Jesus or, or anything like that. But it works as an example to understand what vocation's about. Our deepest joy, our deepest longings are starting to fulfill the needs that we see around us. Your deepest gladness, the things that bring you the most joy, meet the net deepest needs of the world. And it might be that you're a nurse and you have always had that feeling that you want to make people as comfortable as possible. So as you keep your eyes on God and you serve those who are in your care, you're fulfilling that great joy, the thing that gives you that great joy, and you're fulfilling the needs of those around you. God puts something in you, your job, that always happens and allows that to happen for you, to fulfill your, your joy and the joy of those around you. So Colossians tells us, therefore, if that's the case, work in such a way that we're pleasing God, not just the people around us. God's put something in you. So give of yourself in such a, a generous way that the giving is not a burden. Rather, it's a, a blessing to you and to others around you. In our story of Jonah this morning, for Jonah, he, he embodied perhaps the opposite of fulfilling this idea of vocation, didn't he? Jonah heard his call from God, yet he turned around and went the other way. He was a prophet. His vocation, his whole existence for living was all about sharing the word of God with others. That was his vocation. The one thing that filled him was to share with others the, 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 the story of God, to help people lead towards God. But the one thing that filled him was the one thing that he ran away from. Shall I not? Shall I change? All right, now I can be a little freer and try not to stand too still. Um, so, so the one thing that Jonah was actually made for was actually the one thing that uh, he ran away from, and he ran totally the opposite way, didn't he? He, he, he? he heard God say, I'm calling you to go to the, to the Ninevites. But he said, no, I'm not going to. So looking at Jonah, my hope is that we can learn how to generously give our, of ourselves and our call, this vocation that God's laid on our hearts. And looking at Jonah's story, we can find three elements that help us to do that. Because the first element of Jonah's story is that there is a call to duty. 
There's a call to do something, to a duty to do something. And in verses 1 and 2 of, of Jonah chapter 1, Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Well, it's a pretty clear and definite call, isn't it? It demanded immediate action. Jonah had to go and preach to these people that were wicked. And Jonah said, no, I don't like that, God. See, Jonah was a Jew, and these Ninevites were Gentiles, and as far as Gentiles go, they were already wicked. But now God's telling them they're wicked against God. And Jonah didn't want to be associated with these people. We hear later in the book of Jonah that when, he, uh, when God rescues the Ninevites, Jonah is distraught. You shouldn't do that, God. He didn't really like them and didn't think that they deserved God's attention or his attention. So Jonah had no use for the Gentiles. As far as he was concerned, the only good Gentile was one that was nowhere near him. Now God was telling him to go and save them. Go and save these wicked people. An errand of mercy to the Gentiles was, was foreign. It was foreign for Jonah. It would have been strange also to those who are reading this book. God, what, what are we doing here? What's going on? The Jews, we're the chosen ones, God. Just, just focus on us. Why are, you, why, are we, why are we being distracted by those evil ones, the Gentiles? And Jewish men daily recited this prayer. Thank God. I was not born a Gentile, a leper, or a woman. Eesh. Imagine trying to say that today. Jonah, however, was called to share a message of repentance to these people that he loathed, to turn them from their wicked ways, to share God's love with them, to bring an understanding of Yahweh who he served. And he didn't like it. But it tells us a lot about the character of God, doesn't it? And although these Gentiles were, were so out of step with God, God still, still sees it fit to send his messenger to rescue them from their own fate. These aren't God's chosen people. These are people outside of, of that plan. Yet God's plan of redemption, years before Jesus the Messiah is coming, God's great plan of redemption is still happening. And his plan was to use this prophet Jonah to go out and do that duty to be a light within that dark place. And the story of Jonah suggests that God's people have a responsibility to take the initiative to share God's words with those in the places that we are. Part of the call for every Christian is to be Christ in the world. But I believe that it's not just about living a good, upright example. I believe that includes about speaking Jesus into the world that you live as well in your homes, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your villages, wherever it might be, to be able to speak Jesus into a place that may have never heard of him. And so I believe that a part of our duty as followers of Jesus is to share God's word. That's got to be part of this vocation that we're talking about. That, that, that deep gladness that can come from us is actually a gladness of sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because that's what our definition of vocation was, where our deep gladness meets the world's deep needs. And you see, some people would say, well, Pete, I don't feel comfortable in sharing about Jesus. I don't feel comfortable in sharing about the, this redemptive love that came over me with other people who don't know him. And I would say, 
we have a duty, just as Jonah had a duty. He was to go and preach, and our vocation must be, that must be part of our vocation as well. It was a command that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. We can't go and make disciples by just waving at them and being good people. We've got to go and make disciples by actually speaking to people, sharing the story of how Jesus has impacted your life, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, he says. So our vocation, where you are, includes that call. The second element of the Jonah story is that Jonah refused that duty, though. Jonah refused to do what God had asked him specifically specifically to do. See, Jonah, he had a mind of his own. Verse 3, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. To flee from the Lord. It sounds like a silly thing to do, isn't it? I'm going to flee from God because he won't find me in Tarshish. And we all laugh and giggle, but we all know that's the case in our lives at times as well, isn't it? He decided to book this passage on a ship bound for the opposite direction of Nineveh. Far from the country, far away from God, Jonah thought, I'm going to escape. I don't want to do this call to to this thing that God's called me, so I'm going to go the other way. But Jonah was not to escape easily, and in a few bold sort of... um, scenes in the, in, the, in the scriptures, we see uh, a terrible storm rise up. The angry waves, the, the, the boat that's threatened with destruction, the sailors that just don't know, they'll, they'll speak to any God at the moment. And where was Jonah? Still running away, asleep. He was awakened by the commotion and he realized what was going on. And he, he understood what had happened. He understood that he can't run from God. Jonah had not escaped. And in the fleeting moment of manhood, he told the sailors that, hey, I'm responsible for this thing that's going on. You better chuck me overboard. The sailors tried all they could. You can imagine their position that they're in. Oh, we're going to throw the guy overboard. We're going to kill the guy. But in the end, there's no running from God. And as we pursue our vocation, as we... pursue the the thing that God wants us to be, the people of God in the space that God's called us to be, there's a very real lesson for each of us. We can't run from God. There's no running from God. We might try, yet our God, who loves us immensely, pursues us immensely as well. Did God not love Jonah in that moment? Well, of course he did. Jonah couldn't see the bigger picture of it, but of course he did. God loves us immensely, but will pursue us immensely if we turn and run the other way. And we know this. You might get a sense of God's leading a direction, and, and you just don't act on it at the time. You think, oh, well, that's a good idea, but maybe that's my own idea and not God's idea, so I, I won't go with it. But then it sits there and it niggles at you. You've had that, that experience? It just sits there and it just niggles at you. And you go, all right, I've got to do it. But then you start to procrastinate. And you justify why I'll just wait that little bit longer. Or maybe I'll wait for a sign, even though that four or five signs have come along the journey. And you keep putting it off. Yet it keeps coming back to you. 
God may not throw you in the water and have you swallowed in the belly of a giant fish. But we understand the relentless pursuit of God, don't we? See, God wants us to fulfill our passions, to complete the dreams he places inside of you. And God will chase you to help you to step into those dreams. Not because he's angry at you, but rather because he loves you. And he wants you to be fulfilled. That, that greatest joy, that greatest uh, gladness flow out of you. He wants you to get into that idea of vocation that says, something I can't not do. For reasons that I can't explain to anyone else and don't fully understand myself, but they're so compelling that I just have to go and do it. That's the place God wants you to be. That's why God will chase you. He'll bring you to the place where you just have to do something. Because that's what God's wired into you. And no matter what, our refusal to fulfill that duty is not an option for God. I wonder if you've been running. I wonder if God's planted something in you over the past year, two years, five years, ten years, even past week, that you think, I've got to do something about that to fulfill who I am as a person of Christ. And yet you keep on putting it off and putting it off. I wonder if God is continually just nudging you in a little way. Don't put it off any longer. Because the third element of Jonah's story is that this duty is finally fulfilled. There's a fulfillment of this duty. And if you know the story of Jonah, we didn't read it all. We know that Jonah was thrown from the ship. He was swallowed by this great fish. And he began this three-day journey back to the vocation through the belly of this great fish. In the, great, in the belly of the fish, he prayed, he thought, he promised to God his obedience. And finally, at the end of the three days, God caused the fish to, to vomit him up onto the dry, dry ground. And this time, Jonah thought, well, that was pretty intense. I better do what God's telling me to do. And with reluctancy, he went and preached. I could just imagine Jonah's preaching to the Ninevites. Can you just imagine it? Uh, i got to go and preach to these guys, and I don't like them, and they're not the greatest people in the world. Repent. <laughs> and for some reason, Jonah's words made an impact on the Ninevites, and the Ninevites did exactly that. God was working within the hearts of the Ninevites to prepare them to hear that word that Jonah had to say to them, and they were saved. How amazing is that? They were on the cusp of, of wanting something different, I'm assuming, so they just were obedient to what Jonah had to say. They just needed Jonah to live out that vocation, didn't they? They just needed him to step into the thing that God had called him to do. And the rest of Jonah's story was about a man who needed a reminder of God's place in his life rather than Jonah's place in God's life. Because Jonah was unhappy that God would save this place. But that's up to God, that's not up to Jonah. And one of the parts of the story that we've got to remember is that God puts a call on our life, an urge that we can't resist, a, a, a vocation, a passion, it's something that we must do, even if we don't know how to explain it. And as we're called to duty, we remember that God will chase us if we refuse that. But ultimately, in the end, it is God that's going to use you to fulfill what he's got you to do. 
God will fulfill it. See, it's not in my power or my ability or in my charisma that I can fulfill anything that God's placed me to do. It's all through God. I'm not able to go and preach to, the, to a wicked city and have it change in my own strength, no matter how good I feel like I am. But God can, and God does. And God places that inkling in your heart, and he will be the one to fulfill it. You see, Jonah, he had this call to duty. He refused it. He resisted it. God chased him down, and God fulfilled that call on Jonah's life. The result? A transformed Nineveh. A place that was renewed. A place that was redeemed. A place that was changed because, finally, the obedience of Jonah to his call was seen. So as we go to work this week... Whatever work might be for you, may you be encouraged to find your vocation within it. The place where your deepest gladness meets the world's greatest need. And when you find that, my prayer is that you'll not only embrace it, but you'll give of yourself generously to it in the work that you do. Because that's when you'll find that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord. Because when you do that, your vocation will become second nature. It becomes an extension of who you are. May you be blessed in seeking to give of yourself generously to your vocation. Let me pray. Now, Lord, now God, we just pray that this morning as we hear from the story of Jonah, that we'll learn from it, We'll learn about how we can be people of God who work out our vocation, our call to be your people in our workplaces, in our families, in the environments that we stay. May we be the light and the hope that people need, that our deepest gladness finds a space within the world's greatest needs. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen.